pray that they would be um, following along. Pray that particularly for, for us in here, too, for all who hear your word today, that you would go drive it straight to our hearts, that the word would be preached in, in truth and in power, and we wouldn't add to your word. We certainly would dig into your word and see what you have to say through it to us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. And we thank you for this time together. Make us more like Jesus from what we hear. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen. Again, Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read um, 19 through 25. The word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. The word of the Lord. So first, what we see here, is confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So we're talking about access to God. So we have access to God. Now it's kind of interesting how little that means to people. If you go to a, a concert, so some band or singer that you like, um, you have access to them. You get to stand before them. I went to a lot of concerts. I stood in front of a lot of very famous people. I was in the room. I have been in the room with some of the most famous people in the world. I was, I was closer than I am to the back of this room to Ronald Reagan. But so were a whole bunch of other people, too. He, he may have seen me, but he did not know who I was. But I didn't have any access beyond that to him. Now, I've been to some concerts, and you get to have access to them. I've been to some concerts where we gained access and we weren't supposed to. But that's another story. But we have to have access to people is a lot different than just being in their presence. That's a certain amount of access. If somebody is completely inaccessible, is that the right word? Or unaccessible. If you can't access, access them, you have no access to them. So you can't even find them. You even know where they are. Elvis may be alive, training in martial arts with Bruce Lee, but we have no access to that. I don't know. Probably not at this point. But to have access, to get in and have conversation with. There was one um, Christian band called, um, oh, what was the name of that band? It was a um, favorite, uh, one of our youth members loved this band. He wasn't a believer, but he loved this Christian band. It was not P.O.D., Project 86, there you go, everybody, oh yes, I know, Project 86, they're still around, a little bit heavier for some people, but he, went, he loved Project 86, and he was with our youth group, he was being exposed to the gospel, and so I was like, well, let's go watch 
Project 86. So he goes with us. It was at Carowinds, I think. And um, we watch this band, and he's all into it and stuff. And then they have this thing for youth leaders where they can go meet the band, and you can bring a couple kids with you to go meet them. And so we had access to the lead singer from Project 86, which was actually this kid's favorite band. Which is interesting that God had put it in his heart to have a non-Christian band, I mean to have a Christian band as the favorite band of this non-Christian kid. And so we have access to this guy. And I'm in there and, I'm, and I kind of tell him ahead of time, I'm setting it up so the Holy Spirit can make it work and everything. So I go tell the lead singer, it's like, I got this kid, he's not a believer, you're his favorite, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, got it. So he's talking to him and... Um, you know, and he actually shares the gospel with him. And it's all organic. I didn't have to say anything. And, and it was just amazing. And I'm sitting back and I'm thinking, they're going to give me Youth Leader of the Year. This is going to be awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have like a glow that people are just going to go, there he is. There's, there's John Black. He, he, he arranged this thing for that kid. This is unbelievable. And then I'm waiting to talk to the kid afterwards. And I'm just like, you know, here we go. This is going to be, you know. The confession of faith we've all been waiting for. And I said, you know, so? <laughs> he said, yeah, it's cool, man. I said, yeah? What'd you think? Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. I said, well, so I had to kind of pull it out of him. And I said, well, yeah, what do you think about what he said about Christ and what he said about the gospel? He said, yeah, that's him, man. And I told this kid, this is maybe, I don't know. I said, listen to me. I said, God is doing so much in your life to share the gospel with you, that he is evil, e, e, either setting himself, setting you up for a grand and glorious transformation, or is he is just heaping condemnation on your head for the day of judgment. And I said, I don't know which it is, but I have never seen God do so much for a person and it just be rejected. Because he had direct access to his favorite singer who shared the gospel with him, and he still just was able to compartmentalize that we do that and we have access to God access to God not just in his presence not just to get to read about him not just to get to hear from him we have direct access to God it's what the Bible says it's interesting how little this means to so many people most people it seems want very little to do with God much less to have any actual access to God, so most people either choose to push him out of their thinking at all, but then they create, they choose, and they serve um, their own gods. And all the while claiming many of them to be atheists. And yet they worship. And they worship health or, or youth or money or, or pleasure. Or many, there's many people who seek after their own spiritualizations. Um, Wicca is big. Witchcraft is big. Um, oh, the zodiac stuff. What do you call that? It's not astronomy. It is astrology. Right. So these things that people worship and spiritual things that people. I mean, paganism as a, an actual religion that's having a revival. I remember thinking when I was younger, and we would talk about pagans and witches and all this kind of stuff and it was just like modern people would not do this today modern people and not that we were necessarily even I was a strong Christian at the time it was just generally accepted that um, modern people would not 
do this. And yet we have plummeted into this where it's, um, you know, these things are on the rise among modern scientifically minded people. And it's because we are spiritual beings. And we need to be connected to true spirituality. There's a God, our creator. There's, we're made for this relationship. And so if people don't want that kind of access to the true God, then they'll start plugging into other things and trying to find access that's a, a surrogate type of access. This is like people who, who want true happiness. They might just turn to drugs or alcohol or, or to other pleasures trying to get access to true joy, and they can't find it because those things are temporary. You're treating symptoms and not the disease, not the, the root problem. So many people are just seeking to fulfill that inner longing for God, which only the Creator can fulfill. And all the while, you're falling for the doctrine of demons. And we have to be aware that that's what these lies are, dark doctrines of, of demons. And so most of the world... Even maybe most of those who call themselves Christians see God as presented or imagined as a harsh God that's demanding exact obedience. And he's got rules, and there's rules, and there's more rules, and there's a God that is a God before whom we will, could never stand before. Why would we want access to that kind of God, a, a God before whom we wonder if we would even desire to stand in front of. And yet here today, God is holding out something amazing, and God is holding out before us, before you, something wonderful. Welcomed access into His very presence and again, it's not just access like getting permission to see you know, the principal of the school. I don't know about you. I don't like to talk about my past too much. But if I ever got access to the principal, I was not happy about this access. There was, there was a bad reason for the access to the principal of the school. Now, I've had principals that were great, and they knew me by name, and we'd high-five, and we'd do all, you know, it's fine. But, you know, as I got older, I tended to be the problem with that relationship, and you get called to the office, and you had access. Wonderful. I mean, it's many movies where you see a kid sitting outside the principal's office in fear. And if that's, that's authority... Think about that with a person thinking about they're having to go stand before God. And so you can see why many people just, how do you psychologically deal with that? But that's not the access that's available to us. We're not like, I, I love the imagery of in The Wizard of Oz, of Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion. They, they have access to the, the wizard. They're, and it's a throne room. And they walk in, and it's just trembling. So finally the lion runs out, and they're just, they all end up running away because I am the great and powerful eyes. And they're there in front of him. And if we picture God as being like that, why would we care about access to that kind of a God? But what we are offered, what the Christian is offered 
is, is greater. We're to have confident access. We have confident access to enter boldly. If, imagine you're in the principal's office. You're being called to the principal's office, and you are, you know, maybe he's your dad or your mom. And you're just your best friend kind of dad or mom. Some people are afraid of their parents. But this is like, you know, the, the ideal good relationship. And you're getting to go in. You've been unjustly dealt with, and you have access. And you get to go in and say, i got to tell you what's been going on out here. And you know he's going to do something about it. And do what's right. And it's even greater than that because, of course, Justice with God, and if the principles of your parent he demands to do what's right, if you're in the wrong still, you have to be dealt with. Justice is demanded. So as far in the, the Christian understanding of the way the world works, the holiness of God, blood is demanded. So the Old Testament priest, he could only go into the holy places in the tabernacle and the, the temple with the blood of, of calves and goats and bulls. He had to have a sacrifice because death was required. Death was imminent for unholy people and so if a priest representing the people before God were going to go in before God they had to have a sacrifice because it was only by the coming sacrifice of Jesus Christ that all this pointed to that any person could have access whether he was a priest or he was not a, a priest so there in that old testament those old testament images we see a substitute death but the blood of goats and bulls could not take away sin. They couldn't actually deal with it. But they pointed forward to this blood of Christ, the death of the Son of God himself, and that is for us, for you, if you accept it, if you trust in Christ. It's, and this very thing is presented before you this very day, this very morning. What is presented is life. Not law, but grace and mercy. Confident access to God. Confident access to God. In Christ, there's no longer a fearful expectation of judgment, but only for the believer who's hidden in Christ. This curtain was an actual physical curtain that separated in the tabernacle, in the temple, the holy places in the temple that only a priest could go into, from the holy of holies, the holiest place where the Ark of the Covenant was, that only the high priest could go into, only once a year, and only with the blood. And then he could come out to represent the sins of the entire nation. So that curtain separated even the regular priest from the holy high priest, from the, the holy of holies, which represented Jesus Christ himself, actually God himself. And that curtain, he now tells us, represented and even was Jesus Christ, which was torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And the curtain didn't even, wasn't even there anymore. It was torn access being given directly into the Holy of Holies. And not just by the, all the other priests, but what he's saying is any believer can now just walk in. Any believer can just walk in and give his petition to God. Now for the Jewish Old Testament believer, 
this is, this is just blasphemy. Okay? This is what got Jesus killed. Stuff like this. But that's the good news. It's no longer a law. It's a gospel. That's what you're hearing this morning. That's what's offered to us either to accept for the first time or to walk in this is to have this sort of access to God. I think we miss it because it's like it sounds a little too good. It sounds a little, like, I don't know. I don't know if you can actually, you know, we've all seen, well, I guess I'm getting old now. There used to be this movie called Indiana Jones and the, the, you know, the, the Lost Ark. And, you know, when the Nazis opened the Ark, it just melted their faces off. You know, they died. You don't, don't look at it. Don't look at it. Um, and in the Old Testament, actually, what happens is, you know, people would touch the Ark and die. You did not have that kind of access. But for the believer, Jesus Christ is the Ark. Walk right up to him, hug him, you can kiss him. You can bang on his chest and ask him why. You can fall at his feet and worship and he picks you up and, and holds you and, and listens to our prayers that we present to God the Father, direct access to his Father in Jesus Christ himself at his right hand interceding for us. So if, if the world or our flesh or Satan or anybody is, is yelling incriminating information about us where we should not have direct access, Jesus Christ is going, look at me, I died for that person, hear him. And God the Father says, I know. And the Holy Spirit just brings us into his presence. And that's the access that we have with God. So since we see that this curtain was his flesh, this court curtain torn in two from top to bottom, the death of Christ, that Jesus was torn asunder, that curtain was torn asunder, that through Christ's death, the way to God is open, not by your works. He didn't tell, tell us to go and get a mob together and rip that curtain down. It, God did it. It's not by your blood. It's only by his blood. What you are hearing this morning is not law. This is gospel. See the grace that is available. See what wonderful peace there can be in the presence of your Creator. Access to God. And in verse 21, since we have a great high priest, so it starts off, you know, therefore, since we have access, confidence to enter. And then 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, and this is talking about, you know, we have access, but we also now we have this, we have an advocate with God. He's the one, Jesus Christ, there interceding for us. And we're the house of God. You remember the priest duty, there were prophets and priests. The, the prophet would speak, he'd hear from God and speak to the people. The priest would represent the people before God. And he had to come with blood. Jesus Christ's blood paid for that. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is our priest. He represents us to God. Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, represents you to God. There's nothing that could be, could be better. So let's remind us of how Hebrews has previously told us 
about this very thing. So if you just go back to Hebrews chapter 4. And it's just these verses 13 through 16. He's, he has, he's now reiterating this thing. He's telling us again, verses 4, 13 through 16. That no creature is hidden from his sight, but are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now that's that scary thing. And it should be very fearful for the world who's outside of Christ. But verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So again, access and you have an advocate. But without Christ, you must stand before God alone. You will face a holy God naked, ashamed, guilty, 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 and without excuse. And worse, Satan, the accuser, bringing up everything. And what are you going to say? Because every pretense stripped away. But I didn't know. You knew. But I tried. You didn't try. But I believe. You didn't believe. But I had no way you had access. Everyone will be found guilty outside of Christ. And we have to remember that about ourselves as well, how closely we must cling to Christ. And what will Satan use to accuse you? What could God use to accuse you? What does the world use to accuse you? What does your flesh use to accuse you but the law? The law. And if you don't think the world understands the moral law of God, then just go sin against one of them in the name of Christ. And you find quickly they understand about judgmentalism. They understand about stealing and lying. All you have to do is prove yourself to be a hypocrite in their eyes, and they pounce. They understand the law. It's, it's in there. And so we know from our own lives, that it's true. So that's the accusation, the law, thundering from heaven, perfection or death. It's perfection or death. That's the other problem. It's not like I tried good enough, I did as best I can. Look at everybody else, I did better than them. They're all sinners. You're comparing yourself to the most wicked, vile creatures that exist. And you're saying you're better than them? <laughs> good job. You know, it's what we do. We want to stand before a perfect and holy God and say, at least I'm better than that guy. It's like, no, you're not, because you're being judgmental right now. It's just, we don't understand how harsh the light of the law shines on us. And it is appointed to man once to die. And after this judgment, 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 naked and ashamed, without hope, 
But what joy is before you this morning? What hope is set? Gospel, not law. The Spirit of Christ Himself calling out in, into this very room, come to me. All you who are weary, come home. And that's joyous. But do we as believers understand that we have access to God Himself? His own Son is our great priest. If God is for us, who can be against us? Since we have access and since we have a great high priest, then let us, verse 22, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So in the Old Testament, it was the blood which was sprinkled for cleansing. Everything was cleansed with, with blood. So then our hearts are being sprinkled with blood. Now obviously it's got to be some kind of metaphor or symbolic or something, but there was physical, actual blood that was put on the people and on the book of the covenant. So it was symbolizing the actual physical blood of Jesus Christ. And what God is saying, this actual physical death of Jesus Christ has cleansed your hearts. By that sprinkling that was taking place in the Old Testament is what has happened in us. That you stand knowing that you still sin, but your heart has been, these inner motivations, it's been sprinkled clean. And the struggle is understanding the disconnect between the way I actually think and the way I tend to live my life with impure motives and impure thoughts from time to time at least, and knowing that it's been sprinkled clean though. So I can stand before a holy God and with our bodies washed with pure water, total cleansing. These, these things had to happen. If you're a priest, you had to be physically washed with water to be able to go into the presence of God as well with blood. You weren't washed with blood. You're washed with water and you had to enter into his presence with blood. And therefore, then he had total access. But that stuff is gospel. That's, that's, not, that's not gospel. That's law. But the law has cleansed us. The law of substitutionary atonement, the law of being able to allow one to stand in our place to represent us is fulfilled. But not by us fulfilling the law. And then we have here sprinkling and we have here washing. Now, I like this as a Presbyterian because my Baptist brothers and sisters, it's like you got them both right here, sprinkling and washing. But you know what you don't have in either of these two verses? The Greek word behind this is not baptizo. You don't have the word baptize in any of these two words. What you have here is what happens in baptism, sprinkling of the heart and the washing of the body. Neither of which are talking about what happens with actual water. It's what the Holy Spirit does through the blood of Christ. And so water baptism represents this aspect of the gospel. The cleansing of our hearts and the washing of our bodies, giving us access into God. Our thoughts and our actions, our inward motivations and our outward activities made clean and holy. We're no longer able to we no longer appear before God naked and ashamed. It doesn't mean that we do sin and it's like, well, that's now a good thing you did. No, it's just not brought into the presence of God. It's as if we don't have that stuff. And when we die and we put away this body of death, we'll stand before God holy and perfect and clean 
completely. But you now have that access. See, that's the problem. You, maybe we had to wait until we die to have access with God. Then we are done away with sin. And we're made holy. Now you can talk to God directly because then we'll be as he is and he'll see us as we are and we'll be holy and without sin. Great. But as for now, I'm still a mess. I'm still a rebel in a lot of ways. So that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us. God access now. It's as if you've never sinned. It's as if everything Jesus Christ has given you, take it and go and give your petition to God. This is not law. This is gospel. So we are to draw near to God in full assurance of faith, not in full assurance of our good deeds, not in full assurance of faith for faith's sake, but faith in Jesus Christ. The object of your faith is what is important. In what are you placing your faith? Your goodness, it's filthy rags before God. Your non-Christian religion, it's outside of Christ and can only lead to your condemnation and damnation. Your willful ignorance? No, because that's really a suppression of truth, not a true inability to know it. The Bible says so. It's not law. Not works or false worship is going to get you into heaven, but the gospel alone. Most people would rather work, so a lot of people would rather work for it. Look how good I am. Don't ask me to get emotionally involved with God. Don't ask me to actually have to change my life to help people. Just let me write a check. Let me do this. Let me do that. Let me do these things so I can feel good about myself. And it's like, stop it. These things will flow from a relationship. They will not create a relationship because God sees through the motivation. We have to trust and have love for Christ alone. Then we are to draw near with a sure, full assurance of faith looking to him, and the way is open. And so we are to draw near, and then verse 23, we're to hold fast. Let us hold fast, since these things are true, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews is written to a church that was struggling, had experienced and will experience persecution. Some of they were past there are Jewish people who were um, worshiping in the synagogues before, and many of them thinking about going back because life was getting hard. And he's saying, no, you have access to God now. You have direct access, but you need to hold fast to your confession. You need to draw near to him and hold fast to your confession. So we are often unfaithful, but he is not. He will hold you fast so that no one can snatch us from our hands. But hold fast to your confession of hope. That confession of hope that you made when you first came to really know him. Who you continue to learn about and you continue to know. Hold fast, he tells us, and don't let it go. The world demands that you lose your grip. The world demands that you lighten up a little bit. Let it, let him go just a little. The world demands your obedience and your obeisance. The world demands this. They say they don't. They want you to be free. They don't want you to be free. They, the world, demands demons and your flesh demand mastery over you. Complete and total. Even those in the world are deceived themselves and think they're doing things just to set you free. 
those things will not set you free. Only Christ will set you free. So that no matter where you're living, what the world may do to you, let the world despise and leave me. They have left my Savior too. The world demands these things. The writer says, Now the world may sore oppress me. Heaven will give me sweeter rest. We have to hold fast to our confession, to what we believe. And then third, since these things are true, you have direct access, you're drawn near to him, and since we're to hold fast to our confession, then what we need to do is, verses 24 and 25, therefore, consider... Think about how are you going to stir up one another, and that's the word like provoke is the King James. How are you gonna? How are you gonna be a, a provocateur? How are you gonna stir up? It's, it's the word that's kind of used for you know. We talk about the. We don't usually talk about somebody going out and stirring up peace. You know, you stir up trouble, and that's the word it's used. And he's using it intentionally to make you think. He said, "Now I want you to stir up. I want you to stir up something out there. I want you to stir up one another to love and good works." And that's how it's supposed to make you think. Start, what, no, you stir up trouble. Yeah, I want you to stir up something. I want you to stir up love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So the big question that I get as a preacher, they don't quite say this, but before I was a preacher, and people were willing to say things, I mean, it's funny when people find that your preacher cussing stops immediately. You almost feel like cussing yourself so that they freak them out or something, but that usually doesn't have the desired response. But the question is, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? Do I have to go to church to be a Christian? So as you read this, and you think about this, and we pray this through, you know, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? It's like, what makes you think this is all about you? How self-centered is that question? How egotistical is that question? How, it's like you, you're dating somebody, and it's like, do I have to actually be with you? <laughs> like, man, you know, the first sign of a bad relationship is once, I remember watching the Flintstones. Man, this delves into my psyche. This is why I don't like to give examples off the fly, off the cuff. Let's just say... <laughs> All right, so you, most of you people know me. My father was an alcoholic. There were a lot of problems in our home with this kind of thing. Um, he worked, never missed a day of work. All weekend long, he was drunk. It could be violent at times. It was difficult. I would watch the Flintstones as a child. Fred and Barney were always taken off to go what? Come on, where's my Flintstone fans? What were they always leaving home to go do? Bowling! They were bowling all the time. And what did, Fred, what did uh, Wilma and Betty think about that? Oh, they hated it. They couldn't believe Why are they always leaving? leaving? And it's true. I mean, they were spending way too much time. And where, what else did they do? I just remembered it. The water buffaloes. Wasn't that what they did, the water buffalo? They were always there. Leaving, leaving, leaving. Now, it's okay. You need some time apart. You can do things separate and apart. It's okay. But once one person in the marriage begins to desire to, be a, to get away from you, you got a little bit of a problem. And I remember watching the Flintstones thinking, let them go. My goodness, they're going to leave. It'd be good 
You know, and so I just remember seeing this, and it's like as a child and working through these things and thinking about them, it's just like we're just messed up people. We all are messed up people. And so we carry these relationships that we have, and nobody, and then we get into this. You don't love me like you all. You don't spend time. You didn't that. Oh, my goodness, we're awful. And then we carry that into our relationship with God. We carry that right into our relationships with God, and we come with, so we get this thing in our mouths that Mike would say, do I have to go to church to be saved? How are you going to stir up one another to love and encouragement and not neglect each other and assembling yourselves together and encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching if you're not in church? How are you doing that? How are you growing in a relationship if you're not spending time with other believers? It's the way God has set it up. You want to have a perfect relationship with Christ without being around other people? Get rid of mirrors. You know the little joke about Robinson Crusoe, the guy that was stranded on the, 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 the island for years, and um, they find he's got three um, buildings he's built. One, he said, what's that building? He says, oh, that's the, when they rescued him. What's that building? That's where I live. Oh, what's that building? That's where I go to church. Oh, what's that building? Oh, that's where I used to go to church. Okay, there by himself, even had to leave church. Couldn't get along with himself, and that's what happens. It's hard, but being alone is harder. And maybe in the pandemic, maybe this is what we're beginning to learn, is you need physical relationships with other people. Do I have to go to church to be a Christian? Don't be so selfish. People need you, and you need them, and not just any people, but God's people. People indwelt by the Holy Spirit. People loved by God. Life is hard. Why would anyone want to withdraw? So go ahead and, and withdraw. And you will also be no good to anyone else. Christian, you have a job to do. Encourage one another. This is what you do. Draw near. You have access. Draw near. Hold fast. Now what do you do? You better start encouraging one another. This is the way God has set it up. The world, the flesh, and Satan are after you. They come to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came to give us life, and he has given us many things. He has given us access while we're here yet in this life. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his church. Be an active part of both the church and of God. Find ways to be an encouragement. So many people need so little encouragement, and so many get so little. But remember, this is gospel. This is not law. You do not earn your way in it's, it's gospel. The way of access has been granted by Jesus Christ. Draw near, hold fast, encourage one another. Stir each other up to love and good works. And you don't do that by beating people down. You've never personally been encouraged by spankings. You can be motivated. You can be disciplined. But rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. We have to have relationships of love with one another. And we have to be in a loving relationship with God. This is gospel. This is not law. Jesus gave his own blood 
to give you access to God. Jesus is our great high priest interceding for us at the right hand of God. Draw near, hold fast, stir one another up, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return is closer today than it's ever been. So don't neglect such a great salvation. What a grace it is to be told of it and to be called to it today. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you. As we come directly up to the throne of grace together as a body, help us encourage one another more. Help us forgive each other well. We're going to our personalities are going to just butt into each other. The, the things that are messed up about our lives, they don't magically go away. Lord, so help us to know when we're offended that we are great offenders. That when we're sinned against, that this is the prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who owe us things too. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, help us not to be hypocrites, to plead from you forgiveness, and then we wring other people's necks, at least behind their backs, when they say the wrong thing, do the right thing, look at us the wrong way. Lord, help us to, to not fear man and be so angry with people. Help us to love one another. Help us to draw near. Help us to hold fast. Help us to consider. Help us to think more carefully on ways to stir each other up to love and to good works, not law the gospel, and we take the Lord's Supper in just a second, it's because you have died that we have this access, a throne of grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.